welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Breast cancer. Our subject today is very timely, as breast cancer is in the news again this week. My guest is a breast cancer survivor, having been diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer in 2019. The diagnosis completely changed her life, however, and she now works in holistic nutrition, supporting breast cancer patients and survivors, and is also a certified meditation teacher. Hopefully, some of what we learned today can help us reduce our risk of breast cancer as we get older, or help us get through a diagnosis and treatment successfully. Junie Boucher, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am absolutely delighted to be here. Well, I'm so happy that you agreed to come on. Do you mind sharing your journey from diagnosis to your mission today? That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, So, so, yeah, when I, you know, when I turned 40, and I, I know you're up in Victoria, I don't know if it's the same timeline up there, but here, when you turn 40, you start having your mammograms. I'm sure your listeners are all familiar with, with those fun tests. And, uh, you know, like a, like a good little student, I was always quite, um, you know, I would sign up right away. I had my mammogram at 40. No, no, nothing to be alarmed about. About 10 months later, I happened to be walking my dog. Now I was working from home before the pandemic. Uh, so I, I happened to be running late that morning, but wasn't, you know, was kind of in PJs and stuff and walking my dog just real quick. And I walked by my neighbor and I just kind of did that thing that women do when, when you, you might not be wearing a brassiere and you just don't want to jiggle so much to draw attention to yourself. And I, I happened to notice, Oh, I, I, I feel something I've never felt before in my breast. And I um, I went back inside my partner at the time. I asked him if he felt that. And he said he did. I called my doctor. Luckily, I was able to get into the doctor's office that day. Now, because I was only 41 at the time, my doctor said, I'm really not super concerned, but let's just go ahead and send you for some further tests because I do feel it. So I went and, and, you know, set up the ultrasound. I went back and forth with my partner at the time because he had had a mother and a sister who had had breast cancer survived. And he said, can I just come with you? And, and I said, well, don't take off work. Like, don't worry about it. And we went back and forth. Eventually I conceded and allowed it. And he said, okay, fine. Okay, fine. And I'm so glad that I did because at that appointment, you know, I'm lying there on the table and the ultrasound is just taking forever. And then, you know, there's a whispering that's happening and some pointing. And all of a sudden my body just started to shake because I said, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. This is, this is not, (laughs) not good. And the doctor turned to me and he said, so we see two masses and we, I believe you have breast cancer. And he was so matter of fact about it. It really caught me off guard. And, uh, and he did say, and I just want you to know, we're going to be with you every step of the way. And I don't know why, for some reason, you know, that was such a kind and appropriate thing to say, but I just felt a bit infuriated of like, what, (laughs) like, what do you mean? I, and I, and then I didn't understand why or how they could be so confident that 
that they knew it was cancer, but apparently, you know, with an ultrasound, you can sort of rule out a cyst. They can't determine what kind of cancer you have or really how aggressive it is, but they can, they can know what they're looking at is likely cancerous. And, uh, you know, I said, well, what percentage are you sure? And he said about 90%. And, uh, he said, you know, we're going to have to sterilize the room. So you're going to have to go back out to the waiting room and we're going to do a biopsy right now. I was in so much shock. And so one of the things I like to tell people, if you do have anything going on like this, and you have somebody that's volunteering to come with you or or if there is somebody that can come to your appointment, even if you don't think that you need them there, just, just let them come with you. Because had I fought back on that and, and uh, gotten that news that day, I just don't think I would have been able to safely drive home. I, I feel like I would have had to sit or maybe go – eat a meal or, or something. And um, you're just never really prepared to hear that kind of information. They did the biopsy. It took about, I don't know, a number of days to come back. That's always a very fun and mentally eventful time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they did say, we, okay, we, we think you have two different types of breast cancer. We think you're probably stage two. Uh, you'll probably need chemo and radiation. Um, again, we'll be with you every step of the way. And uh, so they told me all of that information. And then I consulted with my surgeon. I opted for they did give me the option of going with a lumpectomy, which is a less invasive surgery. So, you know, a lot of people are familiar with mastectomies where they remove your breast completely, but there is a, a less invasive surgery where they just take out the actual tumors, but it can create, um, you know, you do typically need to have radiation with that, regardless of whether or not the cancer is spread. And, you retain feeling in that breast, which is a benefit of it, but you can cosmetically, sometimes the outcome isn't, isn't so great. And I opted for uh, the full removal of the breast because I wanted to potentially avoid doing radiation because that comes with its own set of side effects and issues. And I was a candidate for an immediate reconstruction, which they, it, it was called a skin sparing, nipple sparing immediate reconstruction. And that's, you have to have a very kind of Goldilocks type of breast size, health history, weight, and everything to qualify for this, which was great. But what what that means is that they have to schedule two surgeons instead of just one surgeon. So my scheduling process became very complicated and it took them a number of months before they were able to get me into surgery. And that can be one of the hardest times for a breast cancer patient is because at this point, you don't know if it's spread. Um, you don't know a, a ton about what's actually going on because they're really only estimating what they see on the ultrasound and during the biopsy. And so a lot of women, even though in many cases... Your cancer is very, a lot of cancer is very slow growing. Not all of it. Mine was, and they are able to determine that after the biopsy. So, you know, who knows what was going on, but you just, you just want it out <laughs> and you want to, and you want to know if it's spread. And, um, so those were really stressful months for me, but I, I did a lot during that time to take care of myself, to nourish myself as best I could, to get movement in, all of these things that are are really key to healing. And so when they did do the actual surgery, I was in a unique situation where it was a lot less advanced than they thought it was. They only found one mass. They only found one type of cancer cell. They It was much smaller than they thought, and it hadn't spread. So, you know, I can hypothesize that some of the things that I was doing potentially, I mean, could have shrunk the tumor. I was playing with fasting protocols and a therapeutic ketogenic approach. 
uh, which can potentially do that. I, I was doing a lot of stress work. I went on medical disability so I could really, really focus on my healing. And I got a lot of love from my community. So, but you know, I don't know. I don't know what, what happened. I just feel grateful that it was a bit less serious when they got in there. So they were able to do that surgery. I was able to avoid the radiation. And then they did a test on me called the Oncotype test, which women who have early stage cancers are sometimes eligible for this test. And it determines whether or not chemotherapy is going to be more harmful or beneficial for you. And with certain types of cancer and with with breast cancer, most of it is hormonally driven. So that type of cancer doesn't always really respond to chemo. And in my situation, it was very clear that it wouldn't be beneficial for me. So I was able to to skip chemo. They gave me a prescription for a hormone-blocking medication that they wanted me to be on for 10 years because I was a little bit younger and said, okay, don't let the cancer come back. And I have always been a bit of a research nerd, if you will. So, and I had also had a, my job at the time was working in the legal industry. And I, we did a lot of work with very big law firms that were doing cases that involved pharmaceutical companies. So I had some bias about, you know, I, I'd seen a lot of things in terms of the, the FDA approval process, uh, how, you know, drug companies work. And, you know, I'm not anti-pharmaceutical, but I do, I do have a little, a little bit of, I like to call it healthy skepticism. And so I wanted to do my own research on this medication. I was a bit uneasy with what I found <laughs> about on this, this medication, which, it, but I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it for a couple months. A lot of women who take some of these hormone blockers, and it's a little bit different if you're pre or postmenopausal, but they have similar side effects because essentially, you know, the, the symptoms we see in menopause or perimenopause as our hormones start to decline, you know, the hot flashes, the insomnia, um, mental fog, weight gain, things like that. These are all similar or mood swings. These were all things that you see with these blockers because it's sort of putting you into like a, a menopausal state. That's a very simplistic way of explaining it. Anyway, I, I really struggled with the medication. So I went deep into what I could do from a holistic perspective with my diet, with my lifestyle, with the management of stress to regain balance in my body. And I also really started to look at my life my happiness. And like so many women who are probably tuning into the podcast, as you get older, you just kind of stop caring so much about doing everything for everybody else. And, and you get to refocus on yourself. I don't have children, but you know, I have gotten to that point in life where it's like, yeah, I don't need to fit your mold so much anymore. I can, I can say no. I, I can prioritize myself. And um, that meant not being in this job anymore, getting out of my relationship, moving, and just basically changing my life completely. And I'd always been passionate about nutrition. So during lockdown, I went back to school. I was still working my other job. Uh, so I was in school and I was working full time. And then I, I graduated from this nutritional therapy program. And then I spent a year working both jobs full time. I kind of don't know how I did that when I look back on it now, <laughs> but I did. That's putting yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, no, and, I was, I'm being facetious here. Oh, it's okay. Like... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was, I was passionate about it. So, I mean, I had to, it was, it was tough, but it, it wasn't tough. And I mean, you know, I was doing stuff on the weekends that it, I tried to keep it fun. 
But then I, yeah, then I did eventually, I, cause I wanted to have a plan. I didn't want to just jump off the cliff. And so I spent that year kind of just saving and planning and figuring out how I was going to do it and building the practice. And then, uh, I, I did eventually quit that job and, you know, have just gone full force with this because I do think that there are, I, what I've learned as I have honed my knowledge and really focused it on breast cancer prevention, that there are so many things that we can do to reduce our risk that people aren't aware of. You know, genetic, the genetic component is, is very minimal. I mean, it happens, but it's the majority of cases are not genetic and, and they are lifestyle based. So we aren't helpless. And for some people that feels overwhelming to think that, you know, there are things that can cause breast cancer that you're doing unawares. But to me, I feel like it's very empowering if we understand that we don't have to be fated, even if you have a BRCA gene, which is the genetic predisposition to breast or ovarian cancer, that doesn't mean that gene is going to express. Like there are things that you can do. So it's kind of become my mission to help women find more balance in their life and through a holistic approach uh, so that they don't have to go through this because at this stage in in the game, one in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer and that it's an epidemic. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned prioritizing yourself because quite honestly, I think too many boomer women don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a constant thread through so many of my guests of guess what? <laughs> you have got to start prioritizing yourself for so many reasons, just so many reasons. Yeah. Um, and now you're adding another reason. So that's great. Well, yeah. I mean, my, my message a lot of times is don't wait for a health crisis to yeah. start prioritizing yourself. I mean, it's, it is, it is a real quick way to find motivation, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also expensive and painful and challenging. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. I consider it a gift that I had this very, scary mirror held up to my life that said, we got to make some changes here. But, you know, you don't have to wait for that wake up call, that painful wake up call to to start making changes now. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a complete overhaul all at once. I'm going to get into mid-age women and, and all the stuff that we're going to talk about, but it seems like there are more and more younger women being diagnosed these days. Is that because of just better diagnostic tools or is it lifestyle uh, environment? I think a lot of it is both, to be honest with you. I mean, they we're, we're getting a lot. Yeah, there is definitely a trend and they are doing more early detection. But at the same time, we are so stressed out <laughs> as a, you know, um, not just yeah, all all over the world. We're so stressed out. We are we are constantly being washed in endocrine disruptive chemicals. You know, whether you use organic or non-toxic products, you're still going to get exposed no matter what happens. I mean, the receipts at the grocery store, that ink is an endocrine disruptor, contains BPA. You know, so plastics, anything plastic, chemicals in the air, you know, your, your neighbor sprays Roundup on their lawn or, or some kind of weed killer, you know, you're not doing it, but you're still being exposed to it. So, you know, we can't control those kinds of things, but what we can control is our keeping our detoxification pathways clear. So that's why it's so important to eat um, a sufficient amount of fiber to make sure that you are eliminating daily that you're hydrated because it's, we detoxify through sweat, through urine, through bowel movements, but also considering like what kind of, what are we exposing ourselves to on a toxic level, you know, maybe emotionally. Like I, I used to have the news on, like when the pandemic started, I would put the news on in the morning when I was making coffee and it would stay on all day. 
I'd go to work in my home office, but I would leave the news on all day. I don't know if I would have, my anxiety was through the roof, just like everybody else. But like, so we're, we're constantly giving ourselves this IV of fear when we do things like that. Like, like allow yourself some space. Yes, we need information, but do you need that much information? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I talked to a young woman recently who said, you know, basically if you, if you need to do the news, catch the six o'clock news and then turn it off. Yeah. Like just schedule it in like you do everything else. But as you said, like you don't need it on all day because that's just a, a recipe for everything going downhill in terms of your mood, your health, your everything. Or just a low level of anxiety that's going to course through your body that that contributes to, you know, our brains or our nervous system. It doesn't know if you're being chased by a saber toothed tiger or if you're you know, very anxious about something you see on the news. Like it's, unfortunately, it just doesn't differentiate between those things. And having this constant state of stress, uh, being in that chronic fight or flight, that's where we see some of these roots to disease. And, you know, even I used to be really addicted to true crime. Like I love Dateline. <laughs> you know, I love Dateline. I, I and I know so many other women who who watch a lot of these types of shows. You know, if you're watching that and then trying to go to sleep and you're wondering why you have insomnia, like we can make some some assumptions. You know that that's a, that's stressful when you can OD on stuff like that. And and I see it in some of my I've stopped doing that, but you know I see in some of my friends like being constantly in fear of like because you know. You, you, sometimes you know too much about like, but you're focusing on a specific population and, and, um, an aspect of, of human existence. Well, I think too, you mentioned that, that low level of stress, just that constant low level of stress, but we've been in a pandemic for almost three years now. And yeah, now we may have a low level of stress, but at the beginning, that was a pretty high level of stress because we didn't know yes. very much. Absolutely. And I had just finished my cancer treatment, honestly, just a few months before. So for me, I, I had this like, I was just super sick and I was worried about that. And then it was like, oh my gosh, everybody could be really sick. You know, it, my anxiety went through the roof and uh, and it was really tough. And I think... It's going to be very interesting to see as we are starting to regulate and find some sense of normalcy again, how is this going to impact us in five to 10 years? You know, how, what health problems are going to come out of this? You know, yeah. And, and there, there are obviously going to be benefits that we see and consequences. So I think it's going to be a very interesting interesting decade or couple decades to come. Well, I know like here in Canada, certainly it's that's the, sort of the medical information that I follow, but already we are seeing the bad results of that pandemic because every hospital bed went towards somebody with COVID. And yeah. so people like you, you know, you, you may not yet have your treatment. And so yeah. instead of waiting a couple of months to get whatever happening happening you might have had to wait a couple of years you know and yeah. and women have had to do that and other people have had to do that with their health issues so i think yep. already we're seeing that let alone five ten years up the road or people skipping routine um screenings you know that that's another thing that yeah i i talk to people about a lot yeah so um yeah there's there's a lot i think I, I do think there will be some good that comes out of it. I think people, a lot of people had a chance to actually slow down and realize what a crazy pace yeah. we we had set for ourselves and how, you know, and I, you see, um, I know they talk in the States about the, the great resignation. So, so many people quit their jobs. I mean, I was part of that and, you know, just sort of decided that they wanted to do something that was a little bit more fulfilling. So I think those are some good things that have come out of it, but we are certainly going to see some repercussions as well, unfortunately. 
Okay, I think we need to take a break and just go get a glass of wine or something. I'm getting totally <laughs> depressed here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so just getting back now to mid-age women, does bre- breast cancer risk go up as we age? Yeah. You know, most women who have breast cancer are diagnosed in, unfortunately, in that the boomer generation is kind of the generation that's going to be, you're at the highest risk of breast cancer. Um, and part of that can be, you know, there's, there's a number of factors in that, but as, as our hormones decline, we can go into these, these states of hormonal imbalance or, um, that make us a little bit more susceptible to breast cancer and and these non-genetic forms of breast cancer. So it's important that not only are we doing self-exams more, you know, being aware of what your normal feels like and also being conscious of your lifestyle and your, um, I mean, in mid, in midlife and after menopause, it's actually not terrible to have some extra weight because the body is switching over from estrogen produced in your ovaries to estrogen produced by your adrenals and in your fat. So having a little bit of extra fat is not a terrible thing for a menopausal woman. It can it can be a little bit protective, but it's also it's a fine line because that is as as much as i hate bringing up the the weight issue it is one of the only agreed upon things you know in terms of risk factors for women uh obesity is is a a major risk factor for breast cancer yeah alcohol use as well can be and that's an oh that's another thing about like the pandemic is you know just with alcohol consumption that went up a lot for a lot of people but, oh, I actually meant de-alcoholized wine when I said take that break. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, ha- making sure that you're, you're still getting movement, that you are managing stress or counterbalancing stress, being kind of being conscious of the toxins that you're exposed to, as well as keeping those detoxification pathways open. You know, people go on cleanses. But the thing is, like, we're always cleansing. Our bodies have built-in cleanse mechanisms. But are we supporting those the, right. those pathways? That's important. Which is why you gotta you gotta drink enough water. You gotta you should sweat, whether that's in a sauna, through exercise, or even like a hot bath. Um, if you're not somebody who likes to to exercise like that, there are different ways that you can do it. But making sure. This is a really important one, the the bowel movements. You know, I know I have a lot of clients who are just sort of chronically constipated. And and that's a really important thing for women to to be able to flush. That's a way that your body detoxifies. Right. One more age question before mm-hmm. we do move on. Is there an age when you might be able to relax your cancer concerns? Like, can you be mm-hmm. so old? that you probably won't get breast cancer? You know, that is a really good question. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't know the answer to that. Um, You know, I don't, I I don't really know. And honestly, I don't, I don't think there is like a safe zone, to be honest with you, um, (laughs) with it for women. I think, yeah, we are susceptible. And I know that it tends, it tends to go up, but I don't know if it, if it's uh, caps at a certain place. So um, so we can never be so old that we can safely say, I'm going to drink lots. I'm going to eat, you know, cheap processed <laughs> food out of plastic dishes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, well, here, here's the thing. I mean, this is a very just real thing to say. Like, you know, if I, if I have get diagnosed with cancer and I'm 95, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to have chemotherapy. I don't think I'm going to put myself through a bunch of treatments that are going to make me feel awful. I think I'm just going to kind of let it, let it do its thing because a lot of cancer is, is slow growing and not aggressive. And, and sometimes the treatment is the repercussions of the treatment are what, what ultimately take people down. So, you know, 
I, I really believe there is a point in, in life. I mean, yeah, I, I do think about that as a survivor. You're always kind of in the back of your head wondering, well, what if it, what if it comes back? How am I going to approach that? And yeah, I mean, chemotherapy is very harsh. A lot of, a lot of treatments are, are, are some of these drugs. If you do have late stage cancer can have a lot of side effects to extend your life, maybe a little bit of time. So I, I really think it, it always comes down to personal choice and, you know, prioritizing, prioritizing what is, what you want. And is it a quantity or quality thing? Like that's just a reality. Yeah. Um, I've actually worked with the frail elderly and dementia clients and stuff like that for a lot of years. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what they say is like, if I get a diagnosis now, it's like, let it go because yeah. there's got to be some quality to life. And that is pretty quickly removed from what I've heard with chemo, radiation, all those things. So, yeah, especially if you are, you are already not in, you know, a state of health that, that feels very robust. Like, because yeah, like, yeah. I mean, chemo is an, it's, I mean, it's, it, there are chemicals that were derived from mustard gas. Like it's, it's a very harsh, it's a very harsh and it, and there's not the statistics to be honest are not like great with chemo, but it's what that mod, that medical model feels like they have to work with right now. So oh my, <laughs> my Apple watch is, is responding to that. Um, so, you know, yeah, there, there are options and yeah, me personally at, at that point, I think I'm just going to let it ride <laughs> <laughs> and just do what I want to do. Yeah. no, absolutely. But that's not everybody's decision. Yeah. Yeah. Now, before we move on, I don't know if we need a reminder that you're not a medical doctor. I think you've yes. already emphasized that you know, nothing we'd say today and anything like that. You, you've emphasized getting checkups, medical advice. Like I'll just slip that in there now before we move on. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think, you know, obviously we have to, we have to run any ideas through our doctors, but you know, there are just like other ways that you can support your treatment and kind of help support your body through the healing process. And that's what I like to do. But yeah, I mean, you learn a lot about working in this world. You learn a lot about different things that are going on. And yeah, these are, these are just my opinions. This is definitely not medical advice. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you've already, you know, touched on some of the things that we can do to help reduce our risks. Mm-hmm. Are there any other things like I, I understand about the plastics and about uh, stress environment mm-hmm. exercise, like all those things. Is there any other things that we haven't really? Yeah. I mean, I definitely want to mention vitamin D. So vitamin D is, uh, you know, that's, that's a really important thing that you have uh, good levels with. And as we age, it actually gets harder for our body to keep those levels at an optimal state. So, um, that's something that comes up a lot in terms of like, uh, risk reduction is is having sufficient levels of, of vitamin D, which we get through mostly through the synthesis of sunlight. But, you know, if we live in some of these colder climates or like I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, like you have to during these months, you have to supplement. You can't um, just go out for, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, not burning in the sun. But yeah, like you you have to supplement with things like that. That's a That's a really big thing that I think everybody kind of agrees on. And there have been a lot of studies done that show that most people diagnosed with breast cancer have low levels of vitamin D. And that's just something that's good for your immunity because we all have cancer cells in our body and we're, you know, our bodies are able to fight those off. What happens when you, you know, you develop cancer, something has gone a little bit awry you know, whether it's just your immune system isn't able to to keep up or a lot of people have some kind of a stressful or traumatic event that um, there have actually been scientific studies done, done on this too. And I've noticed with my clients, a lot of women have had maybe a divorce or some type of, you know, particularly painful emotional trauma in you know, some years prior, that's a really interesting thing to look at. So 
you know, if you do have trauma to process, which I don't know that any of, of us don't, you know, making sure you're working through those things too, because that can create imbalance in your system too. I mean, that's getting a little bit more esoteric, but there is a whole branch of science now called psychoneuroendocrinology or psychoneuroimmunology, which is studying this relationship between trauma and disease. And it's quite fascinating. And with breast cancer specifically in how it pertains to women, there are a lot of ideas about this heartache, you know, whether, I don't know, whether maybe the loss of a child or a divorce or something like that, that many women report having that. And I think it's a very interesting concept. So that's not to put the a burden on people of like, if you have trauma, you're going to get cancer. But it's really just a reminder that I believe there is a mind-body connection and that our body stores our emotions somehow. And if you push that stuff down, it might come back to haunt you in, in some way. So you know, process emotions, get therapy. If, if that's, you know, if you're struggling and, and really try to find your way through and uh, let go of resentments and, you know, process your trauma. Yeah. Well, you know, and we're talking about cancer today, but you know, like any of the sort of the, the big health issues will admit that they can their origins can be in stress, trauma, etc. Yeah. I'm currently pre-reading a book for a career counselor, therapist counselor, and she goes into that in great depth and detail uh, about the mind-body connection. So, so do you do you feel aligned with that concept? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, before we get into a little bit more of that. Do you, and this might not be in your wheelhouse either, but can you give us any overview about the stages of cancer? Because you hear about stage one, stage three, stage four, like. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I can give you like the basics. I mean, yeah. okay. the stages are, are ultimately determined by the size of okay. the mass, um, whether it's spread. So like with breast cancer, for instance, you know, has the is it contained? Like there's something called DCIS or stage zero cancer where it is contained still like in the milk ducts or something. So it's not an invade. It has not become invasive yet. Once it's usually what happens. And one of the reasons why they'll, why they do in your surgery, they typically take some lymph nodes is to determine, okay, has it spread beyond the breast into the lymph nodes where then it can potentially move throughout your body because your lymph system circulates throughout your body. So they're looking at, yeah, how far has it gone? Because a stage four metastatic breast cancer could be breast cancer that's gone into your brain or your bones or, um, you know, another part of your body. You might not even have breasts anymore. Maybe you had both breasts removed, but there was a breast cancer cell that metastasized to another part of your body, and then it becomes stage four. So yeah, it's it's really looking at like how advanced things are, and that kind of determines your treatment options, your approach, and it, it doesn't necessarily always dictate how long it's been in your body because some are are fast and some are slow growing. Does that, does that answer? Yeah, no, question? that really helps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So can you have a, once again, I, I, I'm getting a little bit more clinical here. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's uh, in your bailiwick, but can you have a stage four that hasn't metastasized or is stage four probably means it's metastasized somewhere in the body, else in the body, somewhere else in the body? You know, that, that is a good question. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to I don't know. Usually, yeah, stage four is kind of the most advanced stage. Okay. And maybe think, if we, I was just going to say, maybe if we can't come up with a, a definitive answer, that is something for somebody to ask their doctor if, yes. you know, if, if they've got cancer and if it's a higher stage. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. You would 100% be able to get a question like that answered by your oncologist. Yeah. But I think, yeah. And I think it has to do, 
I know metastatic means that it's it's spread to like another it's it's yeah. more systemic. And I think most stage four is probably there, but you know, it doesn't just because you're stage four does not mean that you are, you are not going to be able to survive it. I know a lot of stage four people that have turned it around, um, you know, so, so never give up hope. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe from giving up hope, we can go over to that whole stress thing. Probably you would suggest that if, a person does not have any cancers, whatever, but knows they have a pretty good stress level in their life, that they should deal with the whole stress thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I went back, I went and got a 200 hour meditation teacher certification after I had been in my nutrition practice for a while. Cause I just, Oh my goodness, everybody is so stressed out that, you know, it's very difficult to make healthy changes if you are not managing your stress. You know, and when we are anxious, we are literally programmed by our hormones to, you know, go for comforting foods and and look at ways so that we can self-soothe. And if we don't have the tools, then, you know, of course you're going to want to eat cookies like because that works for you in the moment it's not going to work for you in the bigger picture like ultimately it kind of creates a little bit like it just makes the problem a bit bigger but yeah um i i tend to tell people that yeah if, if you are if you are feeling overwhelmed you know that you you can make some improvements and you don't know where to start i usually tell people yeah start start with finding ways to counterbalance your stress whether it's restorative yoga, meditation, journaling, just taking a walk every day, um, saying no to something like start there. And also with sleep, you know, if you're not sleeping, you got to find a way to prioritize your sleep. Like you can start yet yeah, just kind of start at the base base level and, uh, and then it'll make every little other change get a bit easier to accomplish. I think to you, well, Earlier, you mentioned that by boomer age, you probably have had some traumas, some events happen in your life. Uh, so all the more reason to jump on board. But if you are a boomer, or I guess a person at any age who says, no, I'm fine, nothing's happened, I have a great life, that probably isn't true. But even <laughs> if it is, it is still a good practice to start in with some of the restorative habits. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's possible to be a human being and not need to find ways to fill your cup. You know, I mean, granted, like, I don't know, people can do life whatever way they want. And if they don't think they need to make changes, then I respect that. But I think almost all of us can benefit from quieting our minds a little bit finding ways to disconnect from our thoughts. I mean, meditation, the common misconception is that it means you stop thinking. That's not, that's not what it means. It just means that you understand that you're not your thoughts and you have a lot more compassion for your thoughts and for your brain's self-protective mechanisms. Cause you know, we're going to worry about things. That's, that's a part of our survival instinct, but if you are constantly in a state of worrying about something in the future or something in the past, you're missing out on a, on the present. You're probably not able to enjoy that fully. And that, you know, whether that's eating some delicious food because you're thinking about your grocery list or what you're going to make for your next meal because you have a family to feed or, you know, something like that, like you're, you're missing out a little bit. And, uh, and we we tend to. I was just talking to a girlfriend uh, before I got on here about you know she she's says like no matter what she's doing she's always thinking about five different things and and what I think the benefit of meditation is for so many different women specifically is just getting us out of that multitasking mindset that we've come to rely on to get through life, but also it, it, it robs us a little bit. And the studies have shown that multitasking at the end of the day, 
kind of just means you're doing more things not so great. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing those things so great. Like we tend to to perform best when we focus on one task. That's not always an option for people, but giving yourself a moment in time, whether it's 10 minutes of contemplation, like 10 minutes of sitting quietly or listening to a guided meditation or um, just breathing, we we signal to our parasympathetic nervous system, like you're safe, you're good. You can go into that rest and digest state that is very replenishing and restorative. So finding ways to to do that if you feel depleted or make more room for that, prioritizing that doesn't have to be a spa day that that throws off all your other activities or an hour of meditation. But I I hear all the time from people who say, wow, meditation has changed my life. And I'm one of those people. That's just which is why I'm I like to scream from the mountaintops. Like we we can all benefit from this no matter who or what you what you think you need. Like just try it. And then you'll start to notice, or the people around you will start to notice, oh, you know, I you seem to handle things a lot more better. You seem happier, you know. I just recently interviewed somebody who was that is her thing is meditation. Yeah. Uh, and she, she even got into the neuroscience of it. So that was pretty cool. Yes. Now, there's a lot of science to back it up. Yes. I am, I am going to challenge every boomer woman out there. I uh, guilty as charged, you know, like when we were active homemakers, children, the house, husbands, whatever, we were bragging about our ability to multitask, you know, mm-hmm. and, and now that I'm older, I realize that. It's it's not what it's cracked up to be. Now, you've touched on meditation. I, I know you're also big on mindfulness. Can mm-hmm. you just go into, the, into that? I know in many ways they're related. Yeah. But talk to us about mindfulness, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're very intertwined. But mindfulness, the difference between mindfulness and meditation is meditation to me is, is sitting and, you know, really... Yeah, just trying to get quiet. Um, mindfulness can be the way that you eat your meal or, you know, and, and really being conscious of the textures, the flavors, chewing your food. How, you know, um, what does it look like? What does it smell like? And that can be, I mean, when I think about how I typically eat, I'm like, oh my gosh, I do I barely I barely chew my food. Like that's a big thing for people and a big reason why a lot of us have digestive issues <laughs> because we were we're eating on the go. We're eating at our desk. We're eating in the car. You know, that's that's not mindful eating. I always make an effort to turn off the TV, to sit down, eat my meal. Uh, not be on my phone. You know, it's nice if you have a family, sit together, you know, be be present with each other. Um, mindfulness can be taking a walk. A lot of the times I have to remind myself, okay, I, I like to sometimes listen to podcasts or an audio book on a walk. I like to walk a lot. But I also make sure to remind myself sometimes to just just take a walk. You know, it's so beautiful right now in Portland and I sometimes just make sure, you know, like what does the air feel like on my skin, this fall crisp air? Let me notice all the leaves changing color. These moments bring us back into the present. What I liken it to is, and I've just moved out to the woods, so I'm I'm hearing you completely, but to take that walk and experience so many pieces of it and be present with it that you could tell somebody about it when you got back. Mm, that's a good, yeah, that's a good way to look at it if you don't know how to approach mindfulness. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I know for myself, <laughs> I think I start my day with mindfulness because the, my one joy, my very first joy is that first cup of, or that first sip of coffee. Oh, yes. You know, I'm a bit of a coffee snob and it's just like, yeah oh i i'm with you 100 it is like i sometimes go to bed happy that i get to wake up so i can drink coffee (laughs) you know and but yeah like so ari when you have that first cup of coffee like 
you know, oh, do you smell the the way the air smells when you're brewing the coffee? You know, that first sip of coffee, like, do you feel the heat in your mouth? Um, you know, what are the flavors? What are the aromas? If it's, you know, what is the color? Is it is it a deep, dark brown? Is it, you know, like looking at just being being in your senses and present in that moment. And I think it brings a lot of joy. Like the simple things. Uh, it's funny because I can even tell you what my coffee tastes like when I drink out of the wrong mug. <laughs> oh, okay. It's just well, that's... not as good. Not as good. So I have this mug I have to have. So anyways, okay. <laughs> I'm going to move on to relationships, uh-huh. um, family, friends. Now, you know, if if I receive the diagnosis, it's my family and friends that struggle as well. And I'm not going to have the bandwidth to support them (laughs) with my diagnosis. What do we say to them so they support us effectively? Yeah, well, I think it's important to acknowledge that those people need their own support. You know, like, I don't think, like, the role of the caregiver, and I think a lot of boomer women may be in a position of being a caregiver, that is a, a very difficult role. And I think... It's important for people to know that there are, especially in the cancer realm, there are support groups specifically for caregivers, specifically for family and friends, um, you know, or just know you may need your own support. Again, the cancer patient, you have to set a boundary for yourself because I think especially with women, there can be this sense of guilt that I need to protect everybody else or shoulder their grief over my situation or feel guilty that I'm some kind of a burden on them. So I think it's, you have to get good at communicating what you need. You know, if somebody is, if somebody is relying on you a little bit too much to process their feelings that are causing a lot of anxiety in you, just letting them know lovingly, you know, I don't think I can, I don't think I can be in this role for you, but let's find you some support because these are really valid feelings that you shouldn't have to carry on your own. But, you know, just being communicative and advocating for yourself. And yeah, there are a lot of free support groups But also if you're not comfortable being in kind of a public setting like that, which can be really healing for people, just anytime that you're in a challenging situation, being around people that are also in that situation can, can help so much. Um, But if you're just not that type of person, you know, getting a therapist or um, finding a different way to, to recharge your batteries or process or, you know, talk to other friends so that you can express yourself because we don't want you to hold in all those feelings either. And I think too good advice in terms of keeping all those things in mind. If it's our loved one or our friend that gets the diagnosis, don't go weeping all over them and carrying on. Yeah. Get your, get your own support system separate so that you can help them through their journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think some people do, unfortunately, yeah, it's just a default, especially if the person who's sick is the person you would normally go to, you know, to express that kind of things or look for that support. But it can be, you know, they're, most people dealing with that kind of diagnosis are pretty overwhelmed and they're feeling really guilty a lot of the time that that they're putting you through this because ultimately it it does affect everybody, but it's but it's also extremely important that you acknowledge that you need the support and it's very valid and it's not weak at all to, to ask for help in that regard. Oh yeah. Cause I think you need all your energy and health and just everything that you can pull on within yourself to, yeah. to get you through this, this journey. Yeah. Okay. What else haven't we addressed that you think mid-age women should know or think about? Um, Gosh, I don't know. We've covered a lot of ground. (laughs) You know, I mean, I guess I I didn't really get into like a ton of specifics about the nutrition aspect of things, but, you know, keeping blood sugar balance is is really important. And um, 
you know, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It doesn't have to be low carb, just eating foods that are as minimally, minimally processed as possible and building around protein. You know, that's, that's a, a big problem that we see in menopause is that, um, you know, our, our muscle, it's, it's a little bit harder to maintain muscle, especially if you're not, and if you're not doing any kind of resistance training. So like, you know, making sure that you're getting an adequate amount of protein and eating balanced meals, like that, keeping those blood sugar levels stable. That's, that's one of the easiest ways to minimize stress on the body. And one of the biggest issues that I see in almost any client that's ever come into my my realm is just not eating a balanced um, macronutrient ratio. Well, it's interesting. I mean, this podcast has been interviewing people for two years now, and it's amazing. So many subjects that we've discussed or discussed again or whatever, that as close to natural as possible, the good nutrition, the you know, the really broad variation in nutrients, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just such a common thread. Yeah, I mean, it, we all know this. That that's a that's another thing that I think it's interesting with the health realm is like most of us know what we quote unquote should be doing. It's just it can be hard to make a plan, and that's why I like to tell people, yeah, you know, I'm probably not going to tell you anything that's going to blow your mind. But how do we create a, a plan that you can follow that you don't feel overwhelmed by? That's easy, and just remembering like. When you really break it down, healthy food is delicious. You know, if when like if you think about Thanksgiving or something, I don't. You know, we're eating tur- like a roasted turkey. That's delicious. Uh, maybe some Brussels sprouts and mashed potatoes. Like that's a great meal. That's mainly whole food ingredients. You know, like we. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be fancy. Um, it doesn't have to mean that you're eating steamed fish and and like a plate of broccoli with nothing on it. Like we can get excited about simple food and it can taste delicious, but it just takes a little shift in mindset. And we have to do a little bit of deprogramming because, you know, a lot of this processed food is literally engineered to be addictive, um, to to activate these pleasure centers in your brain. So it can be hard to break some habits or take a little bit of time, but ultimately like our body wants us to thrive. We just have to give it the, we just have to give it what it needs. Okay. So I can tell by your passion. (laughs) This is part of your coaching. Um, So you are a coach. Tell us what you do. I mean, obviously nutrition is part of what you do. Yeah. I mean, I, so I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner. So basically what I do, it's, it's basically just another word for holistic nutritionists, but every, you know, every state and everything has kind of like different parameters for that. So yeah, I work one-on-one with clients and we assess things like, yeah, your, your nutrients. I have a way of looking at and evaluating through symptoms that you may have, uh, what nutrient deficiencies you might have. So I, I don't, require my clients do supplements, but I can work with supplements that help uh, bolster uh, some of the efforts that you're making dietary wise. I mean, I I tell people if if you're going from a standard American diet um, and you're you know you're you're trying to change your diet to more less processed food, we don't necessarily want to throw a bunch of supplements at you right away. <laughs> you know, like get like just start eating some real food because supplements aren't gonna aren't going to like let you keep eating McDonald's every day and, and change your life. That's not likely going to happen for you. But, you know, so we want to, I, I try to help people find ways to incorporate more nutrition into their lives to, to either combat a specific health issue or, you know, if you want more energy, uh, if you want to balance your weight a little bit and how do we do it in a way that doesn't feel super restrictive or like you're like you're giving up you know all your pleasure in life that i i truly believe that when you find a right approach to health and nutrition and exercise that it's going to create more joy in your life more fulfillment and allow you to be just more present 
in your life. And so we look at hydration, we look at movement, we look at sleep, we look at stress, and obviously we look at food. And um, yeah, and I love it. I love that. I, I actually work with a lot of boomers. <laughs> and, uh, and it, you know, it's funny because I think what's specific to this population is we come from this idea that diet food means one thing. Like if you want to lose weight, it means you're going to have cottage cheese and sliced tomatoes and, you know, boiled chicken breast or something awful. <laughs> um, but I also, it's also a generation that has a lot of fat phobia that doesn't think they're allowed to eat butter, um, where, you know, which is something that's like, yeah, actually margarine is, is a lot worse for you than butter. If you eat some grass fed butter that there's a lot of nutrients in that that are great for you, some good quality olive oil, you know, we want to get those bad oils out. That's, that's a big thing. Um, letting people know like fat is actually a very important part of our diets and it's important to, to fight inflammation. It's important for hormonal balance. And uh, yeah, so I, that's a big thing that I work on with, with um, the, I don't boomer. I feel, I feel like boomer has, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's short for the baby boomer generation, but the, you know, yeah, just, just getting people over their fear of fat is a big thing. But it's it's good fats are different than bad fats. That's imp an important distinction. Yeah. So I think you just went right back to mindfulness, which is great. <laughs> um, now, you've done all this in the last few years, which means you do it online. I take it? Yes. I My practice is 100% virtual. Uh -huh. So I can, you know, I can work with people anywhere. And I love that. Yeah. It makes it really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Plus, you have a blog and a podcast. Yes, I, I you know I haven't been super duper active on my blog, but um but I do have a blog that's through my website juniebewell.com and I also have a podcast that's specific to the breast cancer population. So we look at I bring on a lot of different experts who talk about different elements of healing, different parts of the breast cancer process. I bring on survivors who just might have an interesting story or perspective. And, uh, and I just like to have a conversation about how to support healing mind and body when you're going through that process. Cool. What's your podcast called? It's called Ta-Ta Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> And that came to me, I think I was actually like meditating and then I was coming up with a name and I, I can't remember the other names that I came up with, but I, I, all of a sudden that just like popped in my head and I said, oh, well, I think that's, I think that's the name of the podcast. Oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> um, so you sped right through it. Where do we find you on the World Wide web? Yeah, I, so I am most active social media wise on Instagram. And okay. that's at Junie B. Well, I'll be sure to send you all these links. I'm also on Facebook, also Junie B. Well. And I started a TikTok account, although I don't use it that much. I don't know if if that's something that folks that are older <laughs> do so much. And you can find my you can find Tata Cancer on all the major podcast players and uh, my website just period is juniebewell.com. And I have a lot of free resources for breast cancer patients. And that's where you can find my blog as well as reach out to me. I do a free consult. If you think you might be interested in having some support nutritionally or, you know, you want someone who specializes in, in um, midlife hormone stuff or breast cancer support, you know, and I, again, I take an integrative approach. Like I want to... I want to be there to help you have better outcomes with your doctor uh, or your medical team. It's it's really just kind of comes all together. So uh, I'm there and and I love hearing from people and I do offer yeah a free consult if you think that you want to just see if you think that might be something that would help you. Cool. Okay. Now, listeners know that uh, all the links are in show notes, and I will emphasize the fact that it's Junie Be Well, but in case you struggle with the spelling, uh, check the show notes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Listeners, if you have comments on today's show, please talk to us. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at 
as Junie said, all the usual places, Spotify, Google, Apple, iHeart, <laughs> most of the places a person listens to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there and please leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. Share this episode with someone who needs more health info. It might be preventative or therapeutic. And I bet there are a few changes you could implement in the near future to help you maintain good health. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website. And I say this every week, if you want to hear wisdom on a specific subject, message me at twoboomerwomen.com. Junie Boucher, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today and sharing such helpful and implementable, I think that's the best word, implementable uh, tips with us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm uh, that that actually makes me feel really good that you feel that way. <laughs> implementable because that's that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, have a great rest of week. You too.